Hi, podcast listener. Welcome to Truth About Exits, a show dedicated to pulling back the curtain to reveal what it really takes to get deals closed. You'll hear directly from founders of companies who have raised capital, sold their companies, and even those who acquire other companies for growth. I'm your host, Corin Woodmass. I'm a dealmaker, advisor, and when I'm not closing deals, I love to talk to others about their deals and what it took to get them closed. And now you can listen into these conversations too. For all the show notes and more resources, go to truthaboutexits.com. And we are live. Today, we are joined by a former client of ours and good friend of mine, Jason. Uh, Jason, thanks for jumping on the call. Absolutely. Awesome. So as I mentioned, Jason was a former client of ours. We helped him sell one of his brands. And what we're going to talk about today is that whole process, um, how Jason built up his brand. We'll talk a little bit about the broad strokes of that business, why he wanted to sell, talk about the sell process, and more importantly, what he's working on now. So Jason, could you give us a little bit of background before you started the brand that we sold? Sure. This was my uh, second e-commerce company and I had sold my first one and it was a very small sale, but it was like my first thing that I did and I had enough cash to take off traveling and, and not have to work for a little while. And um, I needed to do something that I wasn't tied to any specific location and, and basically uh, got turned on to, to private label style products and started working on that when I was living in Thailand and then Bali and it became like sort of a lifestyle business where it was funding my travels at one point. I kind of kicked back and cruised for a little bit, enjoyed that life, spent many days at the beach, learned to surf. And then I realized, okay, business is, is doing all right, but I'm going to be wasting a big opportunity if I don't focus on that. And then I decided to focus and grow it. And then, you know, less than two years later, we sold the company for, you know, a significant sum. Nice. Okay. So um, you essentially had the four-hour work week and, and got bored. That's a pretty common theme amongst our circle of friends, at least the entrepreneurs that just can't really sit still. The business was kicking off really good cash flow. And we can talk a little bit about that business, but it, suffice to say, it was a nice lifestyle business still, even though you were growing the business. So what was the main reason you contemplated selling and then pulled the trigger on selling the business? Yeah, I guess one of the main reasons is I wasn't passionate about what I was selling at all. And at one point, I got really bored. And I had hired an employee and I had all this time on my hands. And then I, I felt a little guilty. I'm like, I'm making pretty good money, you know, living in a really pretty cheap place very nicely. And I just realized like this wasn't my 10 year business or 15-year business. And I was at the point of, well, I can keep growing it or I could focus on selling it and using the money to do something I really wanted to do. And ultimately, I decided to do that. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we have a lot of clients in the same boat. They build up the cash flowing asset, realize that it's got to a point where it's valuable and it's in a point with you. Uh, the business was a, a very sellable condition when we went to market, which was awesome. So, okay, well, let's fast forward a little bit. So we went through the process of taking the business to market. We had a number of buyer conversations. Um, now, it was a little while ago we actually went through this. I was thinking about this before the call. So do you remember the first buyer, the the offer that we got? Um, I thought this was interesting that didn't end up buying the business. Do you remember how that went down? I believe so. I believe I was in Georgia, the country at the time. 
I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, we had a buyer and I, I'll talk broad strokes. Obviously, we've got NDAs in place with a lot of buyers and the eventual buyer as well. So I just want to highlight one point here that was a big learning for me. This was a couple of years ago, we did this deal. So um, as far as broad strikes goes, uh, the, the buyer was from the US. I'm Australian, if you don't know already, listener, and Jason was in Georgia. So while Jason is from the US, he was overseas as well. And everything was fine with the deal up until getting to the LOI point. Uh, we had a stipulation in the LOI of a small deposit being held in third-party escrow that both the buyer and the seller agreed to an escrow company. So that was very clearly defined in the LOI. Um, everything was signed. That was all great. And there was some massive resistance from the buyer <laughs> putting money into a third-party escrow service. And that's what eventually killed the deal. He was basically asking for information before that money was deposited. So what I've learned on that deal and, and subsequent deals is even if... And this this buyer had acquired other businesses as well. So uh, one thing I want to highlight, the reason I'm mentioning this is selling the business is not only emotional from the seller's side, you're giving up your asset, you've maybe put a lot of time, energy, tears into building this asset, this business. It's also really stressful on the buy side. So things come out of out of the blue and sometimes that can actually kill a deal. So we ended up killing that deal moving back to market and we we've found the eventual buyer so that the sale process on this with the final buyer was actually pretty straightforward um, but let's talk about the transition and handover part because the buyer that bought your business was relatively new to selling on amazon or completely new to selling on amazon not new to e-commerce so could you walk us through just the broad strokes of how that worked for you and and how that kind of played out yeah, absolutely. Essentially, first thing we did, uh, I think we had a company come in and do an audit themselves. I don't know if we can mention the company name. Yeah, so Centurica. Yeah. There, um, a lot of buyers will use Centurica. They're a cool firm. They're a third-party verification service. Which I thought was actually very smart of the buyer. And they were very clear and straightforward. And they found a couple things I expected them to find and was clear in the deal. Their research was thorough. And they even checked to make sure my deposits are what I said they were. So that was very smart of the buyer. And I recommend that to anyone buying, you know, buying a business for sure. And then the handover was basically, you know, since he was already in e-commerce, he understood, you know, supply chain and, and ordering and he needed to be walked through the, um, you know, we spent quite a bit on, on Amazon PPC. And even though those campaigns were set up, they still need to be monitored. So we spent some time there spent some time on how I found products to launch, what I did and kind of my strategy. And then I also had an employee, which I believe he took on. And I'm not sure if she still works for him. Um, so, you know, I think we had allotted like 30, 40 hours of training and we probably only used 15, I would say. Um, and he, he was a smart guy. And he picked up on things really quick. So he made it really, really simple. Awesome. That's a good tip. If you've got someone that is a private buyer on a deal, oftentimes they'll ask for more. They're basically not sure what it's going to take to hand over the business. And in your case, you had a lot of SOPs. You had the staff member that 
the contractor that could go with the business. So a lot of it was already hands off. And that made it a lot easier and faster when it comes to the transfer. If you're getting to that transfer stage, and you're just figuring out how to do what you do, and it's only you, that's going to take a lot more time. So it, it was a great thing that you'd actually put that all in place prior to going for sale. So that was awesome. Yeah. And and, uh, to preface that, I mean, I was only working about two to four hours a week on the business at that time. But in order to do that, he needed those SOPs and at least one employee who had everything together. And that made the business way more sellable um, and marketable, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very common theme with an Amazon-based business because so much of the operations is hands-off, right? Amazon take care of a lot of stuff as well. They charge you for it, but they take care of a lot of that stuff. So a buyer that isn't used to that ecosystem will dig into those numbers and think that there's something missing. You can't be only working these few hours. So yeah, that's quite a shock to buyers that are new to this space, which is why so many buyers are interested in this space, which is awesome. Okay, cool. So let's move forward a little bit. So you've closed the deal, you've done the handover, you're sailing off into the sunset. What did you do next? (laughs) Well, before that, I actually wanted to mention something that might help people. The buyer was pretty concerned about Amazon and the risk associated with, you know, my business was 99% primarily on Amazon, as is, is a lot of people's. And he was a bit concerned because, you know, I had a couple products that were taken down from Amazon and I got them back up or, you know, somebody complained and I had to get them back up. I actually had SOPs for those problems and I was pretty good at getting a product back on if it, you know, if they took it down within 24 hours. And I think that did a lot to calm his nerves about that. So I wouldn't hide the fact if that's happened to you and just document what you've done to reinstate those products. And I think you'd be ahead of the curve there. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, actually. And, you know, that's that's becoming more and more the norm. Um, there are always issues with Amazon from time to time. So, yeah, having that documented and and a timeline as well of what happened each time something happens put it in a a folder and just write some notes, especially a timeline. And if you can cut that timeline down next time and and know exactly what to do, that puts the buyer at ease for sure. That's a great point you brought up there. Excellent. So what did I do uh, after the exit? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. It's kind of interesting. Right right after we had a deal signed, deposit, and I mean, literally the last thing to do was, was for him to transfer money for to pay for the inventory and the final payment. I had a diving trip planned in the Philippines and I rented the nicest hotel on that little island, which is definitely not a five-star resort, <laughs> let's put it that way, <laughs> uh, a little island of Corona. And I didn't realize they only had like internet access for maybe an hour a day and it was spotty there. And I was, we were actually closing the deal, the money situation during that time. And I look back now and, and I kind of laugh, but um, had I known that I would have postponed that trip. But at the same time, we closed the deal, money was in there, it was done. And then I went diving for three days and it was just an amazing time. So, oh, That's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes you can forget to actually celebrate the win. And that was awesome that you had that trip already planned. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious. So I know that you've, uh, we'll get into uh, what you're doing next, but how long did it take you before you got that itch again to work on the the next project, which you're working on now, or had you already started working on the next thing? Well, I, I knew I was going to sell um, for quite a while. And actually, Corn and I worked together and 
my uh, my bookkeeping had a I had to fire my bookkeeper. So you know we were probably working on it for six months, and at that time I was using a lot of my spare time to research products. I had gone to Canton Fair and just kind of keep my eye out for anything that caught my eye. So you know I hadn't pulled the trigger on anything by the time I sold, and then when I sold, I decided to take just two months completely off. You know any sort of work, email anything, because I, I knew when I started the next business, I'd never have this time to just disconnect again. Mm-hmm. Um, did you I did, make the full two months? <laughs> I did, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had, uh, let's see, I went diving in the Philippines. I spent a few weeks there. And then um, I met a buddy out in Colombia and uh, spent two months in Colombia in Medellin, which was incredible. And even though I you know, was in a new place, I got bored at times. I'm like, I can't you know, go travel out, sit in the city all day, every day. And then um, I had a, another buddy of mine who's a, um, you know, really, I respect an entrepreneur. I respect the hell out of him and a bit older than I and wiser. And we were talking, it was like, well, now I have a, a pile of cash, you know, and, and honestly, the, the business had been throwing off cash for a while. So I had most of that as well. And I, you know, I, I didn't live lavishly, but nicely, but, but not really expensively. And we were chatting and you know, there's a lot of people on Amazon doing private label stuff and, and stuff that doesn't have very high barriers to entry. And the stuff I was doing was, wasn't at the time um, either. So you certainly can find success there. But I wanted to do something harder. And I also wanted to challenge myself. To put in perspective, the, the business that I sold, and, and again, I can't reveal the, the products, but I was doing private label. I was sourcing in the US and my supply chain was, was fairly quick. So I was able to run, you know, relatively low inventory levels and turn it over quickly. So my cash flow was awesome. I mean, we I never had an issue with cash flow. And then, you know, I, I got into, uh, I went to Canton Fair and, and I found a product I just loved and thought was amazing and never seen before. And I had started doing research on that product before I sold the company. So I took my two months off and started doing some more product research. And this product I wanted to launch and test was going to cost me probably $70,000, $80,000 just to launch. And I'm used to my product launches costing me about $5,000 and cash flowing in month two or two, three. And this would, I ran the numbers and I basically make my money back in three or four months, three months, or, or when I sold the, the product. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I thought about that for a while and that was, that was a tough decision. And I became down, I wanted to challenge myself and take myself to the next level on an entrepreneur level. And I, I had enough faith in myself that I wouldn't lose the money if things didn't work out. I could still make it back. So I decided to pull the trigger on that. And that product took longer than I thought. I visited many factories in China and spent some time there, um, which is a story in itself. And uh, I had to design the product. And, you know, it just it took some time. It took me to get it to market, probably took me, including shipping and the order and everything, probably took me nine months. So it, it's been challenging and now it's a very seasonal business and the cash flow is completely opposite. I'm, I need to make all my orders, you know, one time during the year and putting out hundreds of thousands of dollars because if I don't do that and I miss the season, then I, I, you know, it's a huge opportunity cost there. So that's the challenge of this business. And I also am testing the products myself and using them and constantly improving them. And it's much more hands-on and, and challenging. So it's fun. It's challenging, and, and that's sort of how I got into it. And since then, uh, I've been pretty busy. Wow. 
That sounds like quite the journey, mate. And you've kind of jumped out of a nice cash flowing business into something that's quite a bit harder. So that's interesting. So are you mostly focusing on Amazon for the second brand? Or are you focusing outside of Amazon as well? Well, yes and no. That's an interesting question. I still believe Amazon is probably the best place to start an e-com business. And you know, it's the easiest place to get some sales and some data. But I'm actually working with a handful of influencers um, who have other website properties and you know have some influence in the market. Because my product's so expensive, people will potentially find this on Amazon and they'll Google it as well. And they'll do research before they buy. So that's been huge for us. And right now, pushing a lot of stuff to our Amazon listing. But in the future, we want to push it to our um, actual e-com store because as you can imagine, our margins are much better there. So that's kind of the overall goal. So my... Oh, my focus is to be, yeah, we, we, we sell a lot on Amazon. We also sell a decent amount on our website, even without much outside marketing at the moment. But our, our goal at some point is to be, you know, Amazon will still probably be 60% of the business over the next few years. But, you know, if I can get like 30%, anywhere from 25 to 40% of my website, that'll be huge for us. Yeah, absolutely. And that also nicely will make the business more valuable if and when you do do plan to sell in the future. So with the second business, because this is a niche that you're more interested in, and like you say, it's really one time of the year is where you make your money back. Is this one built to sell? Are you keeping it somewhat sale ready? Or is this something you just want to keep doing because this is what you love doing? Well, that's, that's a great question. I think we should always have in mind that we're going to sell the business one day, either you pass it down to your children or you know, we're no longer here and you have a succession plan or, or you go through an exit. So I think that's always important to keep in your mind. Right now, that's in the back of my mind. But my uh, this goal for this business is I want to hit an eight-figure sale and I won't sell it before then. And if I could have this business for 10 or 15 years or longer, I'm I'm happy with that, you know. So that's awesome. Yeah, using what, you know, Corin did help me, you know, it's my first my first large sale that Corin and I worked on. And he had so much help. I can't say you know, nothing but good things about him. And I was a bit naive and, and, uh, he told me exactly what needed to be done when, when he had to deliver bad news, you know, he did it. And I learned a lot from that process. So applying what I've learned through here into the next business and laying the foundation for a, a future sale, it's, uh, is huge. And I'm sure will be very beneficial if, and when I do so. That's awesome, mate. I, I love to hear that that progression. And thanks for the kind words too. That's that's awesome. Um, I enjoyed even the tough times on the deal, on every deal. I, I love all of it. It's crazy. So I can relate to what you're working on now as being more of a passion project. And you've, you've built the skill set on the first business, released some cash from that. And now you can do something where you can really focus on it for a decent amount of time. And I, I don't really see there being a downside in that you've got something that you enjoy doing and you've got one eye on value at all times which is great because sometimes you do need to sell right and having having the business 80 90 ready to sell at any given time it's a smart move um, so if you can keep doing that along the way while still enjoying what you're doing and working in a niche that you love then there's no downside there that's that's awesome i'm so happy to have been a very small part in in that yeah. process but that's awesome mate <laughs> yeah, absolutely and, and corin made a good point to me um one time where you just don't know, like maybe it, this offer comes your way, maybe you need to sell, maybe something comes up and, and being prepared for that is never hurts you. you know? and yeah, absolutely. We all, 
you can always walk away from any deal, you know, <laughs> but not being ready for a potential deal is <laughs> can suck. Yeah, we, we have a number of clients that reach out to us and they say, oh, look, I've got a, a strategic of my space that, that wants to buy me. What do I do now? <laughs> you know, like they, they don't have their books ready. They don't have their systems. They don't have anything. So at least moving towards what would be needed for a sale is that, like I said, there's no downside there. Absolutely. No, that's so cool. And so you're about to do some speaking, I hear. So what else are you working on and how could people reach out to you and, and connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I'll be at the business conference in Phoenix. Came from the Fastlane Forum, MJ DeMarco, if you know him. And uh, we've been doing that for four or five years. I've been asked to speak about my business exit there, I think, for like 45 minutes. So if you're in that area, I'd love to meet up. There'll be 50 of us entrepreneurs hanging out for a week in February 7th. And we do it every year. What I'm working on now is obviously my current business. Um, It's in the sporting goods category. And I'm funding it myself, but I'm also looking for any potential strategic partners if, if there's any uh, synergy there as well. Um, so feel free to contact me. And if you have any questions too, I'm, I'm happy to help. You know, if, if you don't know Corin and you want to ask me about him, I'm happy to help you there too. Awesome. No, I appreciate that, Jason. And how can people get in touch with you? Do you have a website or an email? Or Yeah, my email best? is the best bet. It's just uh, jason at jasonregan.net, um, just my name. I'm sure Corin can put that up, but it's J-A-S-O-N at J-A-S-O-N-R-E-G-A-N dot N-E-T. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. And yeah, that's amazing. And the last question I would like to ask you is now you've been through the whole sale process and you've come out the other side, the perfect 2020 vision that hindsight is, is there anything that you would do differently? I think so. I definitely, I'm, I'm happy with the sale and I, I'm also do, um, I don't contact the buyer very regularly, but we're on good terms and he bought one of my new products and um, I think he's pretty happy with his purchase. So awesome. I'm, I'm happy that I sold, but I'm also happy that the business is alive and well and that he's happy. That makes, that just makes me feel good. I will say something interesting changed where, you know, I didn't have any money, I don't know, seven years ago or six years ago. I mean, nothing like I was in debt, you know, and going from, you know, making a little bit of money to making a lot of money and to having a really nice cash flowing business where, I mean, I just couldn't spend what I was making. And it was nice to, you know, went to Hong Kong and, and bought this Rolex that I was like wanted for a while. And okay, no big deal. The money's replenished next month. Great. Going from that to selling and having, you know, a, a nice bank account balance. But at the moment, I wasn't making any money off that kind of changed my mindset. Now I'm like, wow, every dollar I spend, you know, my net worth goes down a little bit. And that was uh, frustrating, you know, and I was like, well, it kind of motivated me to, to get working on the next business. So if I were to do it again, I would probably have launched my other company already since I was only working four hours a week. Not that it's a big regret and I'm happy that I took time off, but your mindset definitely shifts. And at that point, I was so focused on you know, e-commerce, I, I didn't have any other investments cash flowing or, or passive income at the time. So yeah, two things. One would be if your business is throwing off a lot of cash, obviously save it, save it for taxes, whatever else you need. I would definitely suggest, you know, investing either in real estate or something where your money is a lot more secure than an e-com. And then, uh, so if you do sell, you know, and, and I didn't sell for like eight figures, I had not retirement money, but you need, in my opinion, you need, I needed eight figures to retire. You know, if you don't sell for that much, I would just say, you know, invest wisely, 
Yeah, that's the only mindset shift that happened for me. And to note, I guess a bigger one for me is now that my my this business is so cash flow intensive, that was a big hurdle for me to get through. I'm placing hundred thousand dollar orders now, where in the the previous business, you know, my orders were, you know, five to ten thousand at a time. So that was a big mental hurdle to get through. And having the right mentors and and uh, people you you know really look up to really help and guide you through those decisions. And that was that's been huge for me. And I don't think I would have you know probably gotten into this business if it wasn't for the trust of some some really close successful friends. So that's a really important. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And that's something we want to focus on here at the podcast, Truth About Exits, because I've come across this myself in my own history and also with a lot of clients. You, you're you so focused building the business and optimizing the business that you don't necessarily take the time to take cash off the table and invest in something else and start figuring that whole game out you know that can take some of our mutual friends that have sold it's taken them a year or two to really get the investing side nailed right and why not do that while you still have the cash flowing business because a pile of cash in the bank is very different to cash coming in every every week every month it the change that happens is visceral <laughs> you actually <laughs> you feel it in your physiology and i was actually listening to a podcast with john paul DeJora who launched Patron Tequila and a bunch of other uh, businesses. The tagline of this was homeless to billionaire. He was actually homeless twice on his way to becoming a billionaire, which was pretty amazing. It was on the Ultimate Entrepreneur podcast. I just pulled up my Instagram because I um I posted about this just a little bit ago. But one of the tips that he mentioned in this episode, which I thought was genius, he said, despite having these multi-billion dollar brands that he's a part of, he never put all of his money back into any one of those ventures. He mm. always paid himself first and put that money, the money that he drew other than salary, he put into really secure, safe investments for him and his family. So right. regardless of what happened with the business, he would always be building this wealth in the background. And that's the first person I've actually heard talk about wealth that way. Most people say put everything into the business or do go all into real estate. I haven't heard someone talk about diversification like that. When you think about it, that makes a lot of sense to start making those moves and building that skill set, putting in the reps of how to invest your money in a more secure fashion than a business. A business, even if it's diversified, is somewhat high risk, right? can be great returns, but high risk. So yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up and something we'll be interviewing a lot of people that are on the investor side that have after the exit, just invest or were investing along the way or are actual full-time investors. So I think that's going to be a good point to jump off at there. That was, that was an awesome um, tip that you, that you left at the end there. Yeah. And I just want to say for my mindset, I have a friend who's, he's not a billionaire, but he um, has sort of the same mindset. He had a, a successful business and he put things into low risk real estate and they don't make amazing returns, but over time, you know, that's retirement. I mean, he could retire on that cash flow if he needed to. And I think that's huge. And then I, I wanted to leave you guys with one thing. If I don't know, I know this is a new podcast, but I met Corin uh, at a, a business conference in Bangkok and you know, had no clue I'd be end up working with him. <laughs> and I'm so glad I did. So I, I did speak with a few brokers before Corin, and, and there's a lot of good brokers out there for sure. But one thing that stood out to me about Corin above the others is he never once BS'd me. Everything was straightforward and clear. And I got the sense that he was extremely honest. 
and, uh, you know, would deliver bad news if there was some and good news. And that's been very true. And I think that made our relationship working together work extremely well. Um, so I just wanted to say that about him. And uh, I really, really appreciate, you know, you and, and people like you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for that, Jason. Um, uh, yeah, it's nice to hear that feedback. And um, yeah, I appreciate it. That's that's what we try to do here is just, yeah, just tell it like it is. And I know that in the long run, that's that's all that I would want. So yeah, that's what we strive to do. So I appreciate that that came through in the whole entire transaction. And, and we're still mates. We still catch up when we're in the, in the same place which is rare these days but um, hopefully we'll be catching up again soon and we, we can talk about the next phase and yeah. um, awesome well thanks so much for for jumping on the show jason i really appreciate it like i mentioned we'll put your contact details in the um, the show notes it's jason at jasonregan.net if you want to reach out to jason and talk to him about anything partnering up or his experience or even have him talk at an event about his exit so um, yeah i appreciate you jason as a person as a friend and also as a former client so thanks so much and have a great day thanks Warren. you too thank you for listening to another episode of truth about exits now whenever you're ready here are three ways i can help you If your company is doing between 10 to 50 million plus in revenue and you want help to plan your perfect exit to achieve the highest value and best deal terms possible, or if you'd like advice on acquiring other companies to continue to grow your company, we can help. Go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. There you'll see a simple form to tell us a little bit more about you, your company and your goals. And my team and I will take it from there. So go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. The second way I can help is become a guest on our show. If you've had a successful exit, you want to share your story, or if you're actively acquiring other businesses and want to share your criteria with our audience, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash guest. Let's connect and I'd love to talk to you. The third way I can help you is one of my favorite things in the entire world is sharing the truth about exit stories with other entrepreneurs by speaking at events all over the world. So far, I've had the privilege of speaking at events in the US, Canada, UK, Spain, Germany, Ukraine, Czech Republic, over in Asia, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and even Australia. If you'd like me to speak at your next event, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash speaker and tell me a little bit more about your event and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.